Zipporah is back. And Zipporah, if you remember, was the one who cut off the, the foreskin of Moses' son and threw it at him in Exodus chapter 2. And I know that there are stories of women, wives, throwing things at their husband. I'd never heard this one before. Like you read stories about the Clintons and that Hillary used to throw pots and pans and stuff at President Clinton when they were in the White House. Never heard of this one. Uh, th that was, I think, Exodus chapter 4, if you want to go back and refresh your memories and your minds and mental you know, palates of that. Um, but she's back. But what, what stood out to me okay, as I read this, and I really do want to hear what you guess what stood out to you, was Jethro, okay, who was not a clampet, Renee Joe, come on, that was good. Not a clampet, not a Beverly Hillbilly. Uh, Jethro had heard about what God had done. And what's fascinating to me about what Jethro had done was that he didn't get to like watch the O'Reilly Factor or CNN. He didn't have a newspaper. He didn't even have a telephone. But somehow the word of what God had done with Israel had spread to Jethro, who, by the way, was not a Jew. He knew of the Lord, was a priest of Midian, but wouldn't, you know, if we were using a modern day metaphor, he wouldn't have been in our circles like a Christian. Just a guy that's kind of aware of what we're doing. He had heard the news. And I think that why that stood out to me was It had to be big news for it to spread that far, right? This couldn't be just a, like, nice thing that happened in his life. You know, God bless me with a new car, the news will spread, right? But what happened was pretty flippin' unbelievable, right? Like, a un, it was impossible what happened. And because of that, the news spread. And if you think about, like, watching the TV... Like whether it's a, you know, Dateline with Hoda Coffee or local with, what is it, Amy Napier-Viteris on News Channel 2. <laughs> I just love it when Amy Napier-Viteris does a report because they have to say her name like that all the time. It's, no, I just love it because every time somebody with a Latin name on the news is on, they actually go to a Latin accent when they say the name. <laughs> hey, News 2's Amy Napier-Viteris is reporting tonight from... Anyway, um, but... When it was, if it's big, big news, it gets, the story gets told, right? And so, you know, Darren getting a pay raise or you getting a new job or you, I mean, something normally nice or whatever happening in your life, that may be thrilling to you, right? Isn't necessarily big news. What is big news, however, is when somebody hits insurmountable odds, and overcomes when somebody faces tragedy and in the face of it is cool under pressure, cool under fire, and that God did it. God did something big in their lives. And to me, I guess what that speaks to me is, and I know this is kind of a theme, all right, and in conduit over the year or so, but we face stuff in our lives. We face things that are little. We face things that like maybe the job isn't working out or maybe the relationship didn't work or whatever's happening in your life that didn't work, we face it. 
us going through that, us getting to the other side of it, becomes our story. You've heard it when you were growing up called the testimony, right? Testimony night. I loved testimony night when I was growing up because people would tell their stories. And in my church, in our church, my wife and I, one of the things that we do, and I didn't really have a, I had like, I told uh, the pastor when we first started, I have kind of an academic buy-in with this, but I'm kind of, you know, but one of the first things they do in like the small group setting is everybody goes around the circle and tells their story. Because in our, and if you remember, we did this at, at, when we were doing Metro Bible study, and, and maybe we should bring it back. I don't know, maybe, that's, maybe this is part of what the Lord is saying, but we just, five minutes, you sit in front of the computer and tell your story. And we called it my story, real spiritual, right? And put it up on the web. Um, Nate Pebbles, who was with us at that time, told the story about being adopted as a, as a baby found on a train in Korea uh, with a hole in his heart. And that, that YouTube video has been viewed like 1,500 times now. Um, all, the, the one I get comments all the time, more than my Cutlass haters posting, right? I get, I get messages from that story. Um, I work out with a guy named Mike Pappas. Okay, he's killing me. Um, I didn't know about this uh, low weight, high reps thing. Like that really, really ticks me off. But anyway, and I knew that Mike, Mike was the only guy that I'd ever known that grew up like downtown. Like I've heard of that before, like with all the tall buildings. So I had envisioned this whole time because this kid is a perfectly white, perfectly middle Midwestern, normal looking guy that said he grew up downtown Minneapolis. He's like, that, that's where Prince hung out. That's kind of cool, you know? You're like, hey, Prince. Um, but, <laughs> hey, little Prince. Um, but now that I'm working out with Mike, what I found out was that isn't, Mike didn't grow up in a condo in downtown Minneapolis hanging out like with Mary Tyler Moore. He grew up like in downtown hanging out with inner city kids. Okay, Mike was stabbed by the time he was 13. He was shot at, like a bullet grazed his eye through a car when he was 16. Knew multiple kids who had been shot and killed in his neighborhood because what he lived in was a house that his mother, who was driven by this passion for the Lord to work with inner city kids. And they had a idea of going to Africa to work with underprivileged kids. And they were worried about going to downtown because it was dangerous. Now, of course, when you were growing up, that doesn't sound ironic, right? But apparently when Mike was young, like eight years old, he made a comment to his mom, well, why are we going to Africa? When it's dangerous, we could go downtown and it's just as dangerous. And they turned a little light switch and thus began this ministry where he grew up his entire downtown life. He said by the time he was 18, he felt uncomfortable around white people. <laughs> Loved hip hop. <laughs> and I was like, but all this, I guess what I'm saying is his story is amazing to me because it's overcoming these like insert. I'm like, I'm just a sponge asking him in between reps. Because during reps, I'm not asking anything. I'm like, oh. but because his story. And I think that the point being is this, that that is what happened here. That this story, which if you're, now keeping in mind, if you're Moses at the time, a couple months ago, you're being chased by Pharaoh and his army. You're not thinking about anything but staying alive. You're not into <laughs> feel the need to burst into song over there, Jason. Um, if, if you are thirsty in the desert for three days, you're not thinking of anything but water. You're not thinking, this is my story. I can't wait to tell this when I get back, you know, home. You just want to make it back home. And when you think about those things that have happened, when you've, you've already been there, if you've been to Haiti, if you've been to Africa, if you've been anywhere where your life has been stretched and maybe it's been crushing and dangerous, if, if you're in the middle of a, time-crunching, pressuring thing right now in your own life. 
You're not thinking of anything other than can I get through this day? But there's coming a day when this becomes your story, your, as Paul called it, in Acts 22, he gets up and he starts talking to the Jewish council and he says, this is my defense. The word in that passage is apologia, which is where we get our word apologetics. It is his argument, his Josh McDowell moment, right, with his well-crafted argument. And the problem with that, that well-crafted argument, is that 90% of the folks, maybe even more of us, really can't do that very well. I, I'm not Lee Strobel, right? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I can't write the case for Christ. I like it, think it's fun, try to understand it. But at the end of the day, that's not a very compelling story to me, for me. And Paul, if you remember right, I think it's Acts earlier when he's in Greece, and he gets up there and he does that sermon where he talks about the gods, the Apollos, and he makes this culturally relevant sermon, right? About he's engaging the culture and your, your gods and this and that, and, and he's trying to be all wise and witty, and, and it didn't work. There was no church founded in Greece. Maybe that's why in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, when he goes to Corinth, he says, I didn't come to you with fancy words or well-crafted arguments. I just came to you with Christ and him crucified, my story. And in Acts 22, he stands up and he says, this is my defense. This is my story. And it isn't like he goes up there and starts, begins to, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's, a, there's a point to use. I mean, Jesus, the two guys on the road to Emmaus, he pointed out to them in the scriptures who he was throughout the Old Testament. Great sermon. But if you don't know that stuff, just tell your story. And the bigger the story, let me put it this way, the bigger the tribulation, the bigger the trial, the bigger the suffering, the bigger the story. The bigger the odds, the bigger the story. And maybe it's okay for us to take moments in the middle of things when we don't understand it and it doesn't feel like it because it feels crushing and it feels like I'm never gonna get out of this one. I really have screwed this one up that bad or whatever's happening is your story. But at some moment, you're gonna be able to look at somebody across the table and say, look, I know how you're feeling because this is my story. And what Paul did was he said, I was a guy. I was out there killing Christians by the dozen and God found me, Jesus arrested me on the road. And, you know, he tells his story and a bunch of people responded that day. So that's what I saw. And I know that there's a whole bunch of John Maxwell leadership principles in this passage, but I couldn't get past that. Jethro had already heard the news and he'd heard what, that God, his response was that God really is big enough, that this is the God above all gods. This is a God that is huge. And he knew that because of what he heard. And of course, he's Moses to be like telling, he actually is telling him all the details. Now, dude, you didn't believe this, man. They were like, right on our heels. I was scared to death. And God did this. You know, we were thirsty, man. You could have struck a match on my tonsils. I was so thirsty. But God delivered. I struck rock when God, you know, that's it. So that's that's what jumps out to me. And I know I didn't get much past verse one, big surprise, but but what jumped out at you guys tonight? I mean, as you're reading through this, did something jump out that, that speaks to you? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, God definitely. I mean, think about that because he would have, he would have, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere. He wouldn't have had time to go anywhere else because he'd have been sitting there listening all day long. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I think about that because in my job, I mean, I'm thinking I could learn some lessons from this because that feels like my life. Yeah. And I sit around for morning even listening to bands, you know, and and uh, and I, we were training young men in our office and just kind of, was, I guess, another thing else, a confirmation to do more of that, to train them. Um, I think I the... It's kind of funny. Like, the following last song was, what you're doing is not good. <laughs> <Straight> <laughs> yeah. Look, Moses, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you're screwing it up. Right. 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 Huh. God didn't give it to him. No. Interesting. I, God did give him the leadership. Right. And so it was a matter of him hmm. saying, yes, I am supposed to be doing this, but I'm just not supposed to be doing it by myself. And so being willing to, like, keep that role and, and just take his rightful position in it. Yeah. And then enabling other people to assist him. So it wasn't like, I think a lot of times when we get overwhelmed, we're just like, I can't do this anymore. Someone else has to do it. I'm doing it away. Right. You know, but his role was was to be that leader. He just wasn't accepting the help of others and being able to I think what's probably interesting is Moses thought he was doing what he was doing because it was going to help the people because they came to him too far. It was them coming to him and they come to me for this help. And the irony being that that actually wasn't helping them at all. It was actually doing worse than that because they're probably sitting out in the hot sun all day and maybe never even got in. It's like trying to get into an American Idol audition. You do, you maybe you don't make it, right? You're just sitting out there with this crowd of people waiting to get in. And then ultimately by doing this, by finding these people, that he chose, interesting by the way, he was to choose them, they didn't choose him. Like he actually went out and asked them, which is something I've heard from church leaders before that I don't have enough help, I don't have enough volunteers. Well, have you asked anybody? Because um, I think sometimes, you know, we think that God's going to just drop somebody in my lap, you know, and approach me as opposed to being my job to, you know, identify or your job to identify somebody around that maybe could help and just ask. Um, I know that there's a guy over in Murfreesboro named Jim Weidman that's a children's guy very highly sought after because his ability to get volunteers for children's ministry is like huge. And that's what he says. One of his big, we just ask, you gotta ask like, Oh, duh. Didn't think of that. But 
What else? The other thing about that too is like, are, are you doing it in God's way? Like, hmm. yes, God asked you to do this, but are you doing it the way that He wants you to? Or are you just saying, okay, I'm going to do it the way that seems logical to me? Like, you may not have got to the stress out of the well. You just have to get stuck to pray about it and be aware of it to ask the Lord, like, how are you approaching this? Because it's His way. Right. Just sitting in the chair. What else? Jay, you're awfully quiet when your mom's listening. Yeah. Right. It is kind of cool, and this is always comforting to me, that God, if I really believe he's infinite, okay, and this is a theology point here, then if I say that, you know, even my mistakes, basically I'm saying this, if, I, if he's infinite, even my mistakes cannot stop his will. Still going to because if, if I say that, well, I've just hampered the will of God in my life, then I have just said he is finite in that area. I've put an end to God's reach into my life. Infinite means there is no stop to that reach. And I grew up under the situation where I thought you, know, you could quote tie the hands of God because I did this wrong or I did that wrong. And, and uh, how naive of a thought that is can a man really tie the hands of God? if he really is infinite, right? And so even my stupid decisions, I mean, good Lord, look at Genesis. Those guys were morons. I mean, you know, if you're looking for, if you're looking to feel better about yourself, have you slept with your daughters lately? No, right? So it's like, and, but seriously. And these are guys that God used anyway. You know, I mean, it's shocking. And we didn't get, you know, the little 
stand up little uh, whatever those flannel graphs of that. You know, I mean, we didn't get that in the you know in church, but but God used. And I think that they, I think he left it in there on purpose because it's to give folks like us, and it isn't that they didn't have consequences, it wasn't that their lives weren't wrecked, but it was that God could take those broken pieces of their life to create this mosaic that is them, their life, their tapestry, all those loose ends, you know, he ties them together. And, and you're right, this is Moses making a stupid decision and even the seemingly, in, that's really a good truth, inconsequential decision that probably made a lot of sense, right, this good leadership book. And, Save Benjamin later on. So put that on for size. Now we have no idea what's happening in our life. If we take a step back and get the 30,000 foot view someday. And I wonder too if that's what we'll be in heaven, even those things we'll be looking at. Because it talks about where we're going to be forever, you know, in heaven. Maybe there's testimony night in heaven, you know? I mean, seriously. And God's tying it all together. Like this is your life with, you know, starring Jesus, and he comes in and tells you. All those things that, that tied together, like, oh, and this here, when you met this person, this, if you, if I hadn't led you here, you'd have never met Shannon. If you hadn't, you know, I mean, just those things that we can, you know, we make movies out of them, but think of God doing that to you your entire life. Like, you get to see it all in, in reverse. Like, how amazing. No wonder we're going to be saying righteous and true are your judgments. I get it, God. But what else? I don't want to just babble all night. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> I've been around long enough. Our story is his story from Jay's mom. Well, Michael Jackson album. Right. And we have excellent, you start with the word. Whenever you get advice, what, I don't care who it's from, me, especially me, um, you got to check it with the word first, you know, and then you're right, make sure that it's God's, because there's a lot, there's a lot of things that can happen where people come into your life with a, with a quote unquote word from the Lord, okay? Especially if you go to Bible college and you're a girl, God's going to tell some people that you're supposed to marry them. Right. And and you got to make sure, you know, Shannon had a few of those. Fortunately, I wasn't one of them. I was the bad boy. Um, I was pierced. Permamola. I mean, I look good. And um, yeah, it's kind of sad. Huh? Um, in one area. Wait, this was in the 80s? No, no, late 90s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. It was like. Right in the middle of Nirvana. It's kind of like mid-Nirvana era, but I just hadn't got the memo yet about, you know. Anyway, we were, you know, we were late in the game. But I did. I bought some flannel, though, but, you know, the time 93 rolled around. Um, 
But you know, God, people give you a word and you got to verify that with, A, with your heart. I just had one of these not long ago and I can't really share it tonight. Someday I will. But this lady called me. I can't, well, I can't. I was thinking if I could, but I can't. Um, lady called me out of the blue, okay? She's one of these ladies that when she says she's been praying for you, like I want you to know she's been praying for you. And, um, and I know that Jesus loves all of us. I get that, but he really likes her. Um, and she said, it was at the Haiti ball. She called me. Uh, I called her back from right before the ball. And she says, this is, and she starts out, look, I, I, this is going to sound, you know, I don't do this all the time. And I've known her since I was a little kid and I hadn't seen her in forever. Uh, she says, but, you know, if it's not the Lord, just throw it away. But here's what I'm hearing from the Lord for you. And I mean, I was like, mouth wide open, like, huh. And she said some stuff that absolutely brought peace to me and some decisions that we have to make and some things that we're kind of toiling through. And so if it, if it brings peace to you, that's another way to confirm it in your heart because the Lord leads through peace, not through confusion or through you know, turbulence. Or, and, uh, and you know, you write confirm it with others. It's just, there, there are many ways. Just don't ever get one of those, I got a word from the Lord things and then walk away uh, trying to route your entire life around it. Um, but also be aware that sometimes there is a word from the Lord and it's for you because he does speak through here. Absolutely he does. And this is our primary source of information of the Lord, but sometimes he speaks through somebody else um, to you. So, um, and sometimes he speaks to your father-in-law. That was one thing that I was just going to say that stuck out is that, you know, we look at Moses as this great leader and God yeah. and everything, but God like placed him in this specific family and knew that he'd need this specific father-in-law that was going to be willing to come and bring yeah. passion in a way that Moses could receive it. And, right. You know, just, just how intentional God is with how he plans it. Hmm. What else? Yeah. And if you're looking for evidence of why God, if God likes small group settings, he divides it down as far as 10, you know? Um, and I think that it's for purposes of simply just some, just communication. Because if you're Moses, you can't just send an email and hit, you know, reply all, you know, to 2 million people. But this allowed a method of communication but it involved a community study because you know what? There's going to be times when Tamora in the tent behind you is playing the tambourine a little too loud at midnight, you know? 
And how do you do, how do you settle that dispute? You know, you got to have ways to in a small group setting. There's a method to say tomorrow, put the tambourine away. All right, it's midnight. You know, the kids are trying to sleep. Um, and, and if you're Moses, that's what he spent his day trying to figure out. You know, do it. You know, we're in front of you know King Moses or Judge Moses, and can I tear the tent down? I mean, what, what do I do here? You know, Moses has to go to the Word, and he's got to figure out what's the what do I do? You know, and of course he's writing the words. So we don't really have the word to go to, but um. So, you know, the ability to get into a small group setting, and that goes back to that that very thing that community setting, which is exactly what he was doing was breaking this down. Two million people all of a sudden became very accessible to each other. Um, information became very accessible. And uh, obviously, if you're going to lead two million people in a desert, uh, you, I mean, imagine up to that point. I mean, how would you have, because he can't get over the loudspeaker, you know, and just make an announcement. Attention, everybody. Uh, he communicated would have probably just, it would have filtered through, you know, and, 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 a, and you know how that is. You do the whisper game around the circle, right, you know, and, um, but this gave a very specific way to communicate to these folks, and, uh, and it's a great way for our own church settings. And I know it's kind of the hip thing to do in church these days, but honestly, it's kind of, I think it's what God is, I think God is in it. What else? It's 820. Got a couple more minutes. Anything jump out at anybody? Tony's been awfully quiet, my theological buddy. Like at the very beginning. <laughs> Do you think was Moses a control freak? I think he was doing what he was being told to do. He was right in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I had a um, pastor friend of mine that I had lunch with in Tulsa about whenever I was in Tulsa, and. I should say former pastor. He was a pastor for 15 years at a church and he was completely fried, completely burned out. And he sat there telling me, and it was funny because he actually referenced this passage of how he blew it as a pastor, that he wanted, he, he, would, he just felt like he, nobody could do it as right as he could, so it'd be just easier if he just went and do it now, do it himself. And, and he, had, he learned over the years that, that ultimately what happened was that he couldn't do that and it couldn't work and he had to trust that others could do it, others could hear from the Lord. And even if they didn't do it exactly the way he wanted it, it was going to be okay. Um, we actually were in a church for a while where a pastor was very much, I mean, he, he's very quality control kind of guy. His car is always the cleanest car and when he parks next to mine, it's like, it's kind of embarrassing because um, mine is not. But but the irony was is that he really wanted to be in control of everything. And he was very much about excellence. I mean, minute details. You walked into the place, it looked amazing. There was no, you know, crap sitting around on the walls and stuff. I mean, it was just a very nice place. But the thing was is that you got into that point where, this, and that was his idea, if he kept it under control and the quality under control, that he could grow it better and that it would be a better place and a better environment. And so he never really released 
things, people to do things. And so what ended up happening ultimately was that the church didn't grow and it shrank because it all had to go to him. It all went through him and it became this bottleneck of, of, of organization, a bottleneck of decision-making, a bottleneck of everything from whether it was the website or the music selection went through him. And so it bottlenecked it to the point where it never got past him. And it came from a very pure part of part of him. He wanted to do things excellently. And I think that part of that thing with him and maybe if I don't see a lot of control freaks in here, but you know, if you're ever around one, this is what it is. It's about me trying to do it right because I don't think you can do it as good as I can, and I just rather not waste everybody's time. And, and ultimately, the irony again is that it doesn't really do anybody any good, including you know, it's it it has the reverse effect on it. So I see that a lot in uh, in bands. But anyway, um, so what else? We uh, five minutes, five minutes and counting. I did notice that Moses chose them. I shared that with you. I love that when you look at Exodus like 18, 21 through 27 and look at the requirements for leadership, you can go to Titus or Timothy or any, and it's basically those exact same qualities. Um, here's one though that I jumped out. So you gotta be an able person. I don't mean that, you know, you, you have to be like not intimidated, you, you know, just an able person, uh, fear God, men of truth. But look at the hating covetousness was interesting to me. Um, covetousness is what I want what you have I want for me I want I want I'm entitled to I, and that was a qualification for them and I think that for me you know I think it's one of the beautiful things about conduit is we're all in here not coveting because we're giving our lives away for it and nobody's getting paid nobody's entitled to anything and so the idea that boy should I say this so in our society Ministry often is thought of as a career path as opposed to a calling. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but you can make a pretty good living in the ministry. Um, didn't used to be that way. Paul did not make a good living, okay? Paul made a good dying because he ended up getting killed, okay? For his co-worker made Really? It's he was talking about Paul. Like yeah, really. But it's true, though. You know, we're talking about now we want a retirement program. And we want, and those things are not evil inherently or whatever, but I'm not entitled to that. I mean, I was called to give my life away. And if I don't think for a minute that God isn't going to reward me in heaven, even on this world, but in heaven, that's ultimately our big picture deal. When I enter the gates of his kingdom, that every dime that I've given away, every dollar that we have not spent on ourselves you've not spent on yourself every minute that you have given away to the kingdom and it'll be rewarded is he really god or isn't he right you know and so hating covetousness is something that i think we really could i mean i remember i was in a when i was in africa i met this back one of the children we sponsor is this man's daughter um he's a pastor and he's in a slum of uganda okay and I don't know if you're aware of this, but 10% of zero is zero, okay? So he is literally, his children are sponsored because this man has no income. He pastors a church that literally is like a woodshed, like just, you know, like, um, I see Kelly Gathreenberg on here, but we used to build these forts behind Kelly's house, uh, to my childhood buddy, I just saw him on, um, out of like crates because he's, he's it's a, uh, family owned a tractor shop and had these wooden crates and we'd build these entire forts. We wouldn't live in them, we, let alone we wouldn't meet with church in them or live in them, but that's what they were. That's what this guy's church was built out of like wooden crates. And 
Here's a man that hates covetousness, right? He's not doing it for what's in it for him or is, you know, not dusting off his resume. Um, and I'm, again, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't, you know, that it's wrong or sinful. I guess it's a heart issue and you just have to examine your heart because I think that there's a lot of people in this room that are called into ministry. And maybe you're trying to figure out how could God pay for it or how could I get this or how do I, you know. And I think you can't let yourself go there. You stop at is God where Jethro was, that God is big enough. He is the God that is big enough to do this stuff. And he'll figure all that stuff out. He'll feed the kids. He'll take care of the mortgage. He'll whatever, you know, pay the car payment, the rent, whatever it is you're working about, you know, your ramen noodles bill. But um, anyway, hating covetousness really caught me because I think that that is something that obviously Moses was qualified for. I mean, he's sitting here. He, he gave up what he gave up, right? The wealth of Egypt, he walked away from it and chose this. And he knew it. He went in with both eyes wide open. He knew what he was doing when he chose this path. So. Anything else before we hang it up? Maybe a little worship before we leave? From Sherry's son? It's his mom's name. Um, as Jay's getting his guitar, I, I, I do want to thank you guys for that are here and that are online tonight for the support of financially for what we're doing. Um, I'm just so blown away by it. And to encourage anybody that if God is speaking to you to go to Haiti, um, or anywhere for that matter, don't let the money part get in the way for you. Um, Somebody, to, uh, I put a little Facebook status up. Hey, I'm going to Haiti in a month. I'm really excited. We're going to get you know meet the kids face to face. And this guy says, um, a couple people, oh, I want to go, I want to go. And someone says, hey, I'll go. Are you paying? And, you know, just kind of a witty little comment on the way. But it, it, it wasn't lost on me because when I was a kid, a guy named Ron Luce, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, I'm on the phone. I'm like 16 years old, deciding whether I want to go to Guatemala. And Ron says, hey, do you, well, if somebody offered to pay for it, would you go? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking Ron's going to pay for it, right? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He says, good, because God will pay for it. And I'm like, I think I just got had. No, what, what I thought, though, when I was 16 was, that's right. God will pay for it. And so I'm 16 years old. My dad has no job, again. And I've got no money. We're in the middle of an economic downturn, okay? Sound familiar? And $1,200 was all the money in the world to me. I had no idea where I was going to come up. I didn't have a job. I so, but I said yes. And I had four months, three months to raise $1,200. And it happened. And I went to Guatemala. And I remember I was leaving town and I had no money. I, everything I had, I raised to pay for my little trip. I didn't even have a plan to get there. I was going to drive to Tulsa and catch a Greyhound bus. To Houston Because I was so stupid. I didn't know about flying. I thought flying was going to be too expensive. Anyway, um... And I remember I was standing out, everybody's kind of, you know, wishing me well, and I was standing out in front of my house, and, and a guy named Don Wiest, who was a math teacher, uh, believer, says, they just, everybody started just simultaneously, spontaneously started reaching into their pockets and giving me whatever money they had. And I went to Guatemala with $180 from that day. And that was back when minimum wage was $3 an hour. That would have taken me a long time after taxes to have even made that to begin with. I say all that, I just want to encourage you. That's part of my story, to encourage you that if God's speaking you to go, 
man, just do it. I mean, screw it when it comes to the money. Just do it and God will take care of it. He just will. And if he's speaking to you to uh, go, you know, Bucky and Kimmy are going June 4th through the 11th. And I'm telling you, this is the cheapest missions trip I've ever seen. Seven, the one in April is only $737. It's, yeah, shorter, so it'd be a little bit more. But that's, I mean, I know that sometimes that sounds like all the money in the world, but I'm telling you, I mean, God wipes his nose with hundreds. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he's not worried about it. So if you believe that he can do it, you really, I mean, really believe that God is who he says he is, then go, just go. And he'll take care of it. Right. It's just, we set up a flipping lemonade stand. You know what I mean? God can do this stuff. So it's just amazing. Once you put that in motion, you know, God takes care of it. And you can't, I'm just saying, you can't just sit around and wait for God to, you know, sneeze money on you. But um, but when you're moving, God moves with you. So just for whatever that's worth, if anybody needed to hear that tonight, um, we're raising extra money for things that we can take down there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if anybody hears it on the podcast tonight, please feel free to go to conduitmission.org and make a donation there. Uh, 15 bucks feeds a kid for a month. Amazing. I can't even feed my kids for a day for 15 bucks. I can't even feed them for a meal for crying out loud. My kids eat a lot. Um, so uh, pray about it. Jay?
Jethro said, I can't find the verse number. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And um, I think it's verse 12, 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. You heard this story. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And leave on this note tonight. Um, the economy is tanking. Um, we should be worried, but we don't have to be because God is greater than our economy. If the economy is our God and money is our God, then God is greater than that. Um, you look at these messes in the world, you know, I spent a lot of time reading and I look at even what's going on in Afghanistan and I read a fascinating piece on time, in Time Magazine about the job that's ahead and God is greater than that. Let me tell you what, we ain't. Like it is beyond our deal, but God is greater than that. Um, I posted a thing from PBS on my Facebook uh, front line about the debt and what it would look like in 20 years. And... God is greater than that. 
you know, does it mean that he's going to save it? I don't know. But I know it means he's greater than that. Somebody posted a thought on my Facebook that, you know, prayer doesn't work. We need to take action or all we've been doing is praying and it's not working is what it, the quote was. And I would just say, don't be so sure about that. Um, God is working. Maybe the answer isn't what we look, but I assure you that a million years into eternity, we're going to look back and you go, man, that's exactly what he was doing. That was so cool. Um, and know that God is greater than that. So don't be worried. Don't be freaked out. Don't be panicked. Um, we're to just be moving in the kingdom in exactly what we're doing and knowing that his kingdom will come. So don't be worried. God is greater than that. Should be a song. It probably was. I bet it was Southern Gospel too. God is greater than that. You know, God is bigger than the boogeyman. That was Veggie Tales. <laughs> so thanks, you guys. Um, we're getting close to the $80,000 mark going through the conduit. Um, so we're, I haven't got the final numbers, but people have been giving online. $15 here. I, t- I said it last week, but somebody gave $2 online. I know that's funny, but I loved it. It was awesome. Because it really means that that's it. If that's what you got, perfect. Give it, you know? Uh, I mean, I bought lunch for a day for a kid, probably more than that, actually. But it's, you know, it's just saying, you know, that's such a big part of it. And God is bigger than that as far as your own financial situation. So pray about it if the Lord has you to do it. That's great. If not, then uh, don't. Because if you're feeling manipulated at all, you get a pass. God says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, don't give out of manipulation. He does say to give. Um, and I have a little bit of a freedom because I don't take any money from it. You know, I think pastors get a little weirded out because they get paid or whatever, but I don't get paid. So, uh, screw that. <laughs> you guys just, you know the truth because I can say it and uh, we all stand here. It's kind of like what Paul said. He was talking about it. He says, I don't, he says, it's not wrong for a minister to get paid, but he says, I have a tent making business. I can't remember which epistle this is in, but he said, but he just did that so that he could have the freedom to talk real straight with him and real frank with him. And, uh, and I kind of like that freedom because I can't get fired. I don't work here. Um, so just, and I say that I'm preaching to the choir. You guys have all been so great and the Lord has moved. And, and just know that that money is sacred to the Lord. You know, we talk about worship. And if you look in all the Bible and look for worship, you don't see music next to it ever. When you see worship, you see somebody bringing something valuable to them and leaving it behind. It was a cow. It was a goat. It was an offering. That was their worship. So, and I'd love to uh, have you put it in the bucket, but we don't have one. Um, so well, there's a bucket. There's a fancy one up there. Just, we got to get something for it. Um, yeah, look, there's a fancy bucket there. It was borrowed from the church. So um, we talked about it last week, like the music business. I want to do lunch. Do lunch with a kid in Haiti. 15 bucks, you can do lunch with a kid in Haiti. He, he won't be there, but he will uh, for a month. So do lunch, it's music business terms. Uh, for those of you that have joined us online, thank you. I'm signing out my large head. <laughs> my disproportionately large head. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Go team.